Matthew chapter 6. Hallelujah. We've been talking on the subject of faith for the last several weeks. And um, I, I, don't, I, I just love talking about faith. It's probably one of my favorite subjects to talk about, to discover. And it feels like um, I was even going back in some of my notes and just reviewing uh, some notes from past years and past messages that I've taught on faith. And it's just you can never exhaust this subject. You can never exhaust the word of God. If you get bored in here, I don't know what to tell you, uh, because we're always learning something new. We're always discovering something new. And um, uh, and, and I just thank God that his word is new every time we open it. Um, if you don't, we talked about that a little bit last week. If you don't have a love for the word of God and a desire and a hunger uh, to be in the word, um, then you're missing out. Uh, because when you've tried everything else and when you've exhausted every other, uh, every other way and every other thought and every other idea, um, this is the one thing that's going to be sure. This is the one thing that's going to be a solid foundation. And you'll always be able to go to the word. And um, I was even looking at some of my notes from past years. And um, just seeing what God had revealed and just continuing to get new stuff, just continuing to get new perspectives, if you will. And in Matthew chapter 6, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He starts with verse 31, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31. We're going to start here. He's actually been talking on this uh, uh, specifically about worrying uh, for several uh, passages, several verses here. But starting with verse 31, he says, therefore, so in conclusion, After everything that I've said, therefore, do not worry, saying, if worry has a voice, have you ever noticed that? Worry has a voice. People that worry, they usually speak it. They say it. And what you say is what you see. And what you say is what you get. And it's no wonder that they're so worried uh, because the very thing they're speaking is happening. It eventually will show up in your life. He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, but I love this, that my voice can also be used in faith. We said this last week that uh, the same energy that you use to live in fear is the same energy you need to use to live in faith. And when I see people that are bound by worry and bound by fear, uh, uh, and what I see is, man, if we could change that, if we could shift that, what an awesome man or woman of God they would be. Because fear is not the opposite of faith. Can I tell you this today? Fear is not the opposite of faith. In fact, I would present to you today that fear demands faith. I believe that fear is faith in the wrong thing. Fear is just simply faith that the wrong thing is going to happen. See, faith and fear both live off of expectation. We're going to minister to someone today because fear binds us and fear grips us. And we see it all over the media and we see it all over social media and we see it uh, all around us. There's fear 
no matter how good it is. You ever met someone that no matter how good it is, no matter how good things are going or how well uh, uh, things are in their life or what they've received, they just always seem to find their way back to fear, back to worry. And I believe if we could shift that individual's mentality and perspective, they would be just as strong in their faith. Because if you can use that amount of energy to believe that something bad is going to happen that has not even happened yet, I wonder what would happen if we could turn that and start believing that something good's going to happen. Well, what if it doesn't? Well, what if it does? Well, what if they don't? Well, what if they do? Well, what if he doesn't show up? Well, what if he does? What if, when are you going to start preparing yourself for what God wants to do rather than what the devil thinks he's going to do? And it's amazing that we allow a lie from the enemy to be louder than the promise of God's word. A lie from the enemy that's not even true. It has not even happened yet. But yet this word that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it is finished. His word is yes and amen. It is done. It is a solid foundation. But we put more stock in the weatherman than we do in God's word. The weather, it could be sunny as all get out. And the weatherman can say it's in 10 minutes and vast thunderstorms going to come through. Tornado is going to rip your house open. And watch people go to Publix and... Take every stock of water. I would be grabbing Dr. Pepper. I mean, if I'm going down, man, I'm going down tasting something that tastes good. Don't give me water. Don't bring me water. I'm going out good. My last chance? Yeah. Everyone's grabbing the water. I'm taking all the cases of Dr. Pepper, loading up my grocery cart. Put more stock in what the news says. Than what God says. He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Those sound like good questions. I mean, if you're a responsible adult, you're going to ask those things, right? Irresponsible people don't care about what they're going to wear or what they're going to drink. Or, but, but he's saying you don't need to worry about it. For after all these things, this is the key. This is what he's trying to show us. After all these things, the Gentiles seek. They seek. They seek these things. They run after these things. They, they, they are searching earnestly, going hard after these very needs. This is what the Gentiles, he's saying this is the example that you have before you, is that they live their lives The world lives their lives with these questions. How are these needs going to be met? And this worry, this this worry, worry means to divide into parts. That's literally what worry means. If you look it up in the Greek, that word worry that they use here in the New Testament, it literally means to divide into parts. You could say this, you are becoming preoccupied with something else. Faith never works when it's preoccupied, when your mind is preoccupied. Faith can never work when there's an option. Are you hearing me? Faith, faith is fixed. Faith is certainty. Faith is a belief system, and you are so grounded in that belief system that there is no other option. 
There is no other way. But worry, on the other hand, will give you options. Worry will give you another way. Worry will preoccupy you and will force you to use your energy that should be using that you should be using to stand in faith to end up in fear. Worry is a preoccupation of the mind. It is a distraction. And it's and this is what the enemy can see. If the enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. If he can't destroy you, he will distract you. He can't take you out. You're a believer. You're a child of God. You're a, you're a, a son and daughter of the king. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. He does not have access to you. So if he can't take you out, guess what he'll do? He'll get you to take yourself out. And you become your own worst enemy. And it's no longer the giant in front of you. It's no longer the mountain in front of you. It's no longer the challenge or the trial that's in your way. You are the problem. The enemy will distract you. Because distraction weakens faith. Faith needs a focus. Today we're going to talk about a fixed focus. Because here's, here's the thing. Here's my first point. Where you fix your focus, you feed your faith. Where you fix your focus, you feed your faith. How in the world are you going to strengthen yourself That your body can be healed when all you focus on is the report from the doctor. How in the world are you going to strengthen yourself in a belief system that God's word is true? How in the world? You cannot strengthen what you do not focus on. Strength demands focus. If I want to go in the gym and I want to strengthen a particular area of my body, I have to focus on that area. I can't just go in there and, and do whatever workout I want and then be uh, surprised when I don't get the result in the specific area I meant to target. If I want to target my arms, I can't just jump on a leg press machine and just do whatever I want, do some jump rope and run on a treadmill and then walk out and say, I wonder why my arms aren't getting bigger. I wonder why I'm not getting any stronger. I wonder why the next time I go in, I'm not able to lift anything here because I didn't put any focus there. And where you do not focus, you'll never be strengthened. Look at your neighbor and say, focus, focus, focus. You got to focus. You got to focus. Where you fix your focus, you feed your faith. This worry becomes a distraction. This worry becomes a byproduct of not fixing or focusing our eyes on something. We see this happen in Numbers chapter 13. And, and, and I know that we preach this a lot, and I know that we read out of this passage a lot. Uh, it's such a sad case, but it's, it's, it's also such an important example of why faith needs focus. Because what I want you to understand through this series, and what I want you to understand through these, through these topics and these talks that we're having over these few weeks on faith, is that you can have all the resource available to you and still miss out on the promise.
And I wonder how many of us are not walking in promises that God has past tense promised us. He says the land is yours. See, what you're believing for, God has already given you. What you're believing for, God has already given you. And in Numbers chapter 13, starting with verse 27, again, just to give you a little recap, some context, uh, Moses has brought the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness, and now they're standing on the verge of going into the promised land. This is what we've been pressing on towards. This is what we've been pursuing. This is what we've been progressing towards. This is the very thing. This is the whole reason why we got out here. You don't want to get stuck in the middle. You don't want to come out of something and never make it into the next thing. These Israelites, they get onto the verge and God says, I want you to send in spies. God told them to do that. God told them to send in spies to check out the land, check out the territory. And so Moses sends in 12 spies. And here in verse 27, we get their report. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Have you ever gotten so close to something that God has promised you or something that you've been believing for, something that you've been standing for? You've gotten so close that you can taste it, you can see it, you can, you, 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 and it looks just as good, even better than what God said it would. You've gotten so close, but you don't possess it, but you see it. And you would think that if we got that close to the promise, it would be the very thing that we need to push us on into it. I mean, you would think after over 400 years of slavery and after all that this that these particular Israelites have been through and coming out of Egypt, seeing the Red Sea part, water come out of a rock, uh, manna on the ground to supply and to sustain them, all the things that God did for them uh, through this whole book. That getting on the verge of the very thing that they've been moving towards would be the very thing that it's so close they can taste it. It would make them strive harder. But look what they say in the next. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. What are they doing? They're announcing the problem. Rather than the promise. They're announcing the problem rather than the promise. They are fixed and focused on the wrong thing. They have their focus. See, when God gives a promise, he never leaves it to the mercy of the problem. 
I'll say that again. When God gives a promise, he never leaves it to the mercy of the... His, his promise is not contingent upon whether or not it's easy to get in. His promise is not dependent upon whether or not there are enemies in the territory. His promise is certain. His promise is fixed. His promise is secure. His promise, regardless of who's in there, regardless of how they treat me, regardless of how they look at me, regardless of how hard it is to get in, regardless of what it takes for me to endure, regardless of what it takes for me to persevere. God's promise will come to pass in my life. There's no time. There's no age. There's no culture. There's no generation. There's nothing that cannot cause the promise promise to come through. There were no contingencies in in the promise that God gave to Abraham. Well, as long as it's empty, take it. As long as there aren't any enemies, it's yours. If it has a for sale sign, go take it. But if it's, if it's owned, go down the road and look for another promised land. Take the next best step. How many times do we settle for something easy rather than in persevering for what God told us to go after in the first place? God's promises are never contingent, never dependent on the lack of a problem. In fact, We just throw this nugget in there. Almost always will there be a problem, adversary, opposition, challenge, or trial in the way. So that you know he got you there and you didn't do it yourself. Look what happens in the next verse. Then Caleb quieted the people. Caleb knows where this is going. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Y'all going to have to be quiet. He knew right here, the problem is not the giants. It's the voice. If I don't quiet these people. If I don't shut these mouths, if I don't get them to quit talking about what's wrong and start changing the rhetoric and start changing uh, the, 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 the direction of our language, because here's the problem. You are supposed to see what you say. You're not supposed to say what you see. I hope you got that. You're supposed to see what you say. You're not supposed to say what you see. It might be what you see. But you don't have to say it. Because what you say will be what you see. I'm losing them. He sees it. He sees. You see what I'm saying? See, that's that's exactly what God is saying. That's exactly what God is saying in this verse. You've got to see what I'm saying. Look at your neighbor and say, you see what I'm saying? Come on, look at him. Look at them. Why do I only get 50% participation? Where's the rest of you at? Do y'all have a meeting outside that says, when Pastor Mark says, turn to your neighbor, do not do it. Stop. Golly. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you see what I'm saying? Because you will always see what you say. I, I, I've just determined in my life, I want to see what God says. And I won't say what I see. 
Come on, you got to get this in your in your head. You got to get this in your spirit. You got to get this in your mouth. I will not say what I see. I will see what I say. I will not say the sickness that is in my body. I will say the healing will overcome the sickness through my voice and through my mouth. This marriage will change. This relationship will develop. This job will come through. The promotion will take place. I don't care what I see because I'm going to say what I want to see. I'm not going to say what I do see. It's a seesaw. He quieted the people. Why? Because worry, therefore do not worry, saying. Do not worry, saying. Do not worry never just stays up here. It eventually comes out through here, and then you eventually get what you say. You eventually will see what you say. The very thing you worried about happened. You were concerned that they were going to treat you that way, and they did. I wonder how many times we project the very thing we think other people really see in us. Because we we fixate on it and we focus on it so much so that we become the very thing we hate. We live out and we act on the very thing that we don't want to do. Come on, I'm going to help somebody today. Caleb, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Now, I want you to notice what he said here. He did not deny that there were giants. Come on, you got to notice this now. Well, I don't don't know what y'all are talking about. I didn't see any giants. I didn't see any giants. There were no giants in that land. All I saw was fruit. Now, he saw him. How do I know he saw him? Because he said, we can overcome it. We can overcome it. See, you can, you can see the problem just like everybody else, but, but somebody please show up to the party with the solution. <laughs> somebody please show up and say, hey, I see the problem, but I've got an answer. Anybody can be a problem finder. Um, God's looking for problem solvers. God's looking for people to walk up in a situation and say, yeah, it's a problem, but we're going to figure it out. Yeah, it's a problem. We're going to go up at once and take it. Yeah, I see the challenge. Yeah, it may be a trial. Yeah, it might have some difficulty and some pressure, but it might require some perseverance and some endurance on our part. But guess what? We're well able to overcome it. We're well able to overcome it. We're going to go up at once. I'm not even wasting any time. Caleb knew we don't have time to sit around and think this thing through. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. He's working hard. But, But notice Caleb's not fighting the giants. He's fighting his own brothers. This is the battle before the battle. See, this is where faith. See, sometimes you might be surprised where you've got to use your faith. You thought you had to use your faith for the giants. He's having to use his faith just to talk his, talk his fellow Israelites 
into possessing the promise that God already gave them. Caleb's like, taking the giant out is easy. I've got to work on taking you out. Taking the giant out is easy, but getting the worry out of you, that's a whole other ballgame. It's a whole other ballgame. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we and you will have whatever you say. You know, what's sad about these individuals is, is they never even got the opportunity to test out whether they really were or not. Their mouth took them out of the fight before they ever got in it. Their voice took them out of the fight. They never even got in the fight. They never even got to prove whether or not they were. Well, what if it's stronger? What if they're not? It's all about where you fix your focus. And you'll never fight the giant until you defeat your fears. You'll never fight the giant until you see you've got to fight. You've got to defeat what's inside of you before you'll ever get a chance to fight what's around you. Are you hearing me? Worry, anxiety, fears. I mean, this happened to me just the other day. Two o'clock in the morning in a hotel on vacation. I'm wide awake and boom, a thought comes into my mind. And all of a sudden, all the scenarios start playing out of how this is going to work out and how we're going to figure our way through this. And it wasn't the positive. Have you ever noticed the mind usually will begin at the negative of everything that's going to go wrong? But I had to stop myself. See, I have to practice what I preach. I have to do this stuff, too. I don't get to stand up here because I've got it all figured out. I have to work it out myself. And I had to stop myself and I forced myself to think about what would happen if it went right. I went to sleep. It's about where you focus. Well, what if it doesn't work out? But what if it does? And if it doesn't, guess who's with me? We'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about the what if it doesn't. Because we're going to talk about how faith works. And I don't think we really know how faith works. I think we, we, we think our faith works when we get the outcome for which we desire. But that's not always the case. There's a plenty of biblical examples that didn't get the outcome that they desired. But still found a way to believe in God through the situation. So that's a little tag for next week, so you better be here. Amen. They go on to say, they gave the children of Israel a bad report. We, we've been saying this. It's almost like a broken record now. We've been saying this. That you get the news, but you determine 
the report. You can't dictate the news, but you can determine the report. You can't dictate the reality of it, and you don't deny it or ignore it. You just choose not to focus on it. Because there's always something more real than what you see. Because the things that we see are temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. So you just choose to put your focus somewhere else. And when you get around people that don't want to focus there, you get away from them. And when there are things that don't see, you got to get around stuff that's going to feed what you're believing. Are you hearing me? How many times do we try to, I mean, we make things so difficult for ourselves. We're trying to believe the good news. We're trying to believe the good report, but we keep looking at the bad news. Get off of CNN. Turn it off. Don't watch it. Don't look at it. It's no wonder we're so weak in our faith when we feed our fears. What are you feeding? What are you focusing on? Because where where you fix your focus, you feed your faith. They gave a bad report. The land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great. You know why it devours their inhabitants? Because they don't belong there. They weren't destined to be there. They wasn't designed. See, you, you cannot look at how a situation treats someone else and say, well, that's what it would do to me. Because if God has called you to be in it and God has called you to do it and God has called you to take it, then you, he will provide for you not just to get to it, but to get through it. And to live in it. You can't look at how how it's treating someone else. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in what? In our own sight. So we were in their sight. Where is their focus fixed? They're preoccupied in their minds. And where you get preoccupied in your mind, usually you end up speaking with your mouth. And what you speak with your mouth is what you see in your life. Going back over to Mark chapter 6, or Matthew chapter 6, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6. It's about where we fix our focus. He says, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. I mean, wait a minute. He knows what I need before I even need it. He knows that I need healing. So many times our cry of faith is inquiring of God on behalf of our situation as if he doesn't have any clue what's going on in our life. And we need him. We need to catch him up. Okay, here, God, here's what's going on. And God is like, I know what you need. I know all that you need. I knew you needed it before you ever needed it. And the great thing about God is he knew that you needed it. So he went ahead and provided it. 
I said he knew that you would need it, so he went ahead and provided it. He resourced you. He said, yeah, I've got that. Uh, You just have to exchange your faith for what you're believing for. You have to exchange your faith for healing and exchange your faith that your marriage will make it. Exchange your faith for whatever you're standing believing for. Faith is a currency. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. You are not trying to create something. We're trying to move something. I'm not trying to create healing. Healing was provided for me 2,000 years ago with a back that was stripped, beaten open, ripped open, hung on a cross, blood that was shed. It's already been provided. He said, I would knew that you would need it, so I went ahead and provided it. See, the thing is, is usually the thing we are worried about, God is already working on. God is already working on the thing that we are worried about. I know. I mean, think about it with these Israelites in Numbers chapter 13. What else could God possibly do in that scenario? He's already given them the land. Well, it's inhabited. That means you will defeat them. That's a byproduct of the promise. What else could God possibly do? Sometimes I feel like our our prayers and our positions of faith are trying to get God back up off of his throne and do one more thing. God, if you'll do one more. And he's saying, I've already done it all. That's why Rebecca's testimony is so powerful, because there's nothing that she needed God to do in that situation. He's already done it. She had to fix her focus, get her perspective on what God has already done. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. She opened her mouth and she began to praise God for what he's already done. I've already provided it. I've already prepared it. It's yours. I've already promised it. Now believe me for it and walk in it. But every time you come up on a promise, you'll always be confronted with a problem. Every time you come up on a promise, you'll always be confronted with a problem. And let me, let me tell you, the greater the problem is usually an indicator of the greatness of the promise. You put your best defenders to guard the most valuable stuff. So he's already provided it. He's already provided it. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. But he's already provided. I wonder if we're searching for things that God has already provided. Not only has he provided it, but watch this. He continues to say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things. All these things will be added to you. 
What things? The things you have need of? The things that the world is searching for? The things that the world is running after? He says they will be added. Now, you know what that word added means? That word added means you didn't work for it at all. You getting it? Added. That means the things that you are searching for are searching for you. The things that you are searching for are searching for you. Friday, we were on the way back from Texas, and we were in the, the, the airport uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth, and we were sitting there, and we were uh, our, our boarding pass said we were supposed to go to gate A33. A33. And so we're sitting there, and um, uh, my wife decides that she's going to take Camden to some store to find a prize. It's not funny at all. This is the story of my life. Can I get a prize? A prize for what? What did you do? I need to know what you're getting a prize in return for. Just handing out prizes. So she's off to the races. And I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden I get a message on my phone that says, your gate has been changed to A39. So I'm like, okay, we're going to A39. So I pack up everybody's stuff, because they didn't take anything with them. Everybody. I got all the carry-ons. I've got all the toys. I've, I've, got, I've got all the stuff with me. And I'm, I'm loaded up walking to gate 839. And I stop and I see my wife's phone plugged in to the wall. Charging her phone. As I'm about to pull out my phone loaded down with all this stuff to text her to say, meet me at 839. Send Oh, well, she ain't going to get that message. And guess where she's coming back to? A33. So I'm thinking, great. Unplug her phone, and I start going out, and I, it's DFW, man. I mean, the rapture's going through DFW. It's a huge airport. Everything's bigger in Texas. Amen? So we're, I'm walking through, and I'm like, there ain't no way I'm going to find her here. This isn't Jacksonville. This ain't Valdosta, one terminal airport. I mean, if my wife goes wandering off in Valdosta, I can see her from here. <laughs> DFW is a whole other story. So what's going to happen is the thing that, is, that I'm searching for is going to end up searching for me. So I had to go back to A33 and sit down with all the stuff and wait for her to come back to A33 so I could tell her we got to go to A39. But what a mess it would have been if I went searching for the very thing that was searching for me. And I wonder how many times we are busy searching for things that are trying to find us. The provision's trying to find you. The healing's trying to find you. The, 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 the joy is trying to find you. The peace is trying to find you. But you're Running around, going to the banks for for peace, and going for going to the marriage for love, and you're going to going to doctors for healing, and God is saying, "I've got them. They're already looking for you. I've already sent them out. If you would just plop yourself down, get a fixed focus on my word, and wait for it to come to you." What are you looking for? 
And then what the angel said? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen. He's looking for you. And if you would go back, go back to where you were. He said, I know what you need. But seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom, he says. And his righteousness. And all these things, all the things that the world is chasing down and going after, they will hunt you down. They will run you down. They will be added to you. So why worry? Verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Anybody worried about tomorrow? You ain't going to dare raise your hand now, are you? <laughs> you, were, you were when you came in. Woo! You getting this? Do not worry about tomorrow. Come on, somebody in here, because tomorrow is Monday. I said, tomorrow is Monday. And he says, don't worry for tomorrow. And when Monday rolls over, Tuesday's next. And when Tuesday goes down, Wednesday comes up. And when Wednesday's done, Thursday's just getting started. But he's saying, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has its own worries. It will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day. Even Jesus is saying, I know there's trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's trouble. I'm only obligated to work on your situation 24 hours at a time. You, you want to talk to God about tomorrow, and he's saying, I'm not even there yet. Let's, let's, you got gas in the car today? Your marriage still together today? You, you still seeing God work in your life today? You're still alive. You're still breathing. You're still here. You, 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 no one's left you. No one's forsaken. What, what, what do you have today? what he says sufficient for the day is its own trouble where you fix your focus you feed your faith you'll never fight the giant until you defeat your fears you'll never win against anything on the outside until you defeat the one on the inside we just talked about a series called winning within six weeks we talked about winning within We've got to conquer within. I heard someone say one time that worry is temporary atheism. Let that sink in. Worry is temporary atheism. Worry puts you in a position as if God doesn't even exist. He says, seek First, worship team, if you come. Seek first. Many times it's, it's not a lack of resource or provision that is the problem. It's a lack of priorities. Notice he is very specific on the seeking. He's saying it's 
The searching isn't the problem. It's what you're searching for. He's saying you need to seek and you need to search. But it's what you're searching for. That's the issue. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Sometimes what we think is a lack of provision is really a lack of priority. When do you seek God? Second? Third? Last? He says, seek first. He doesn't say seek first and then you can go seek everything else. What he's saying is, is if you would seek me first, you'll find that's all the seeking you'll ever have to do. Because what you're looking for is not found in the marriage. It's found in the kingdom. What you're looking for is not found in the finance. It's found in the kingdom. What you're looking for It's not found in a bank. It's not found in friends. It's not found in the media. It's not found in Facebook. What you're looking for is found in the kingdom. And if you would seek the kingdom above all else, if you would seek the kingdom first, you won't have to do any more seeking. You won't have to do any more searching. Stand up with me. I want us to get our seeking in priority. I want us to get our seeking in priority today. Come on, where are your priorities? You know, priorities reveal values. Priorities tell you what's important. And see, God was trying to show those Israelites the promised land is not more important than the promise maker. I'm with you. He went over to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 after he got rid of the generation that was rebellious and wouldn't go in. No matter what God did for them, they still wouldn't uh, turn to him. They still wouldn't acknowledge him as their God and as their king. And so he said, fine, you're not even going to get to inhabit the land. I'm going to give it to your kids. And he goes to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. And he says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. What did he say? For I, the Lord, am with you. I'm with you. He didn't change the scenario. He didn't go in and kill all the enemies. He didn't go and evacuate the land. He didn't say, okay, Joshua, I got rid of all the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Amalekites. They're still there. But guess what? What's out there is not greater than who's in here. And I am with you wherever you go, wherever the sole of your foot shall tread, I shall give it to you, for I, the Lord, am with you wherever you go. He said the priority is not on the promise, the priority is on me. And if you keep him first, everything else will follow. And they destroyed those nations. Every single one of them obliterated them, 
walls that were too strong, giants that were too tall, enemies that were too well armed. They took every single one of them out because the problem is never bigger than the promise. So I ask you today, where are your priorities? What are we seeking? 